Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and Curtis left me hanging today, guys, but... You know I'm not going to do that to you guys. I'm not going to leave you hanging, especially on as big of a day on the college football calendar as National Signing Day is. But no, in all seriousness, the plan was to have Curtis on here with me today for our National Signing Day recap episode. Curtis was excited about it. We were going to get on here and talk some football, talk some recruiting. Curtis and I are both in agreement that when you're talking recruiting and future Georgia football players, we think that's one of those things where it's good to have a variety of views and a variety of opinions on these different players. But Curtis, uh, he parlayed his summer law internship into a part-time job this semester, and he is hoping to parlay that into a full-time job, potentially, once he graduates from law school. He at least wants to have that option. And uh, he graduates in May, so that's pretty quick here. So he wants to make a good impression. They called him and asked him to come in today on short notice. Just one of those random things. Of course, they called him today of all days. And obviously, that had to take precedence for him today. But it's all good, guys. I can adapt. And I've got you guys covered today for all things National Signing Day. We're going to talk team rankings, the growing gap, at least what I think is, what I perceive as the growing gap between Georgia and the rest of the SEC East, if not the rest of the SEC absent Alabama and maybe Texas A&M, as we'll get into. We're also going to talk how we closed out this 2022 class. We did most of our heavy lifting in the early signing period, as we said earlier in the week, but we had some names out there that we were obviously still gunning for, and we'll also wrap things up with some player breakdowns. So a lot to get to. But let's start with a big picture conversation. If you've been paying attention to recruiting at all, which I hope you have, uh, I really have never understood the people that just like dismiss recruiting out of hand and are just like, you know, talk to me when they're playing between the hedges. Talk to me when they're actually suiting up for my team. You know, Greg McElroy, for example, he's always kind of been one of those guys. And, you know, I I used I say that because I used to occasionally listen to his Sirius XM radio show years ago when I had nothing else to listen to. You know, you guys know how it works. You know, when you're done listening to your normal podcast rotation or whatever you listen to, you're like, well, I still need something to listen to. And you just go and you search for something. And, you know, at least he talked college football. So occasionally I will listen to that. And when I would listen every now and then I would hear him make comments from time to time to the effect of like when recruiting or recruiting rankings were brought up he would just make comments like that like yo man come on like yeah these we're talking about guys in in shorts and helmets and like yeah well just talk to me when they actually are playing college football and I, I just don't get that mindset like recruiting is literally the lifeblood of any college football program these players, like they're, like they're the natural resources. They're the natural resources that enrich our program and any other program out there across the country. I mean, think about it, guys. Why did we win the national title this year? Yeah, we have great coaches, sure. But more than anything, it's because we had better players. That's what it came down to. Kirby said it over and over all year. We had better players than anyone else in the country this year. Why has Bama been the most dominant program over the past decade plus now? They have better players. They had what, a run of seven straight number one classes, if I remember correctly, before we ended that back in 2018 with Kirby's first number one class. 
I mean, that's why Bama has been Bama for 10 plus years. Saban knows how important recruiting is. Why is Dan Mullen no longer the coach of Florida? This offensive genius, right? Why is he no longer coaching the Florida Gators? Because the dude can't recruit. The dude's weird. He can't connect with players. He didn't know how to recruit. He didn't put enough of an emphasis on it. He didn't build that culture of Florida. And it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are. If you're playing teams that have significantly better players than you up and down their roster, if there's a talent gap there, you're swimming upstream and it's not going to work out for you. You're not going to win championships. Why are the same teams always up there in the conversation for the college playoff every single year? Why are Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, even Oklahoma to a degree, why are they always in the conversation for the playoffs? Because they recruit better than everyone else. Like, why can't Northwestern or uh, Indiana or Colorado or, I don't know, West Virginia, why can't programs like that ever realistically think that they can win a national title in the modern era? Because they don't recruit well enough. They simply don't have those players. They might have a guy here and there. Sure, maybe a guy can be a first-round draft pick every couple years. But they don't have enough of them to fill out their roster to compete with the likes of Georgia and Bama and Ohio State and Clemson. They just don't have those guys. So, sorry. I know a little bit of a side tangent there. But back to what I was trying to say before I got sidetracked. I hope you pay attention to recruiting because... As I just laid out there with my little tangent, it matters. And if you have been paying attention, then you know that Texas A&M is the talk of the 2022 cycle as they have put together, at least at least based on the 247 composite rankings, the best recruiting class in the history of college football, at least the modern history. Even better than some of those Bama classes, all of those Bama classes, and even better than our 2018 class that at one point was the best recruiting class in the history of college football, but no more. And uh, that recruiting class, by the way, again, another example of why recruiting is so important, that 2018 number one recruiting class, well, yeah, they just helped deliver a national championship, case in point. And while in and of itself, the fact that Texas A&M has ascended to the top of the recruiting rankings, that's interesting enough. That's enough of a news story to talk about and pay attention to, but it's not just that. It's not just simply the fact that A&M has ascended to the top of the rankings. It's more how they went about doing it by, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade, by handing out wads of cash in the form of NIL money. And no, look, we, we don't have hard evidence to that, but we have strong rumors. We have players who have even alluded to it. Uh, guys that cover this for a living, that cover the recruiting beat for a living have alluded to it. Other coaches have openly re- referenced it. Lane Kiffin, I think it was last night, I was just kind of scrolling through Twitter. Lane Kiffin was out there. I mean, gotta love Lane Kiffin. I mean, maybe you don't have to love him. Charlie loves Lane Kiffin, but I mean, he's. I think he's good for college football. Just some of the ridiculous stuff he puts out there it's you gotta laugh at it but what do you say that he thinks AM, like you know tongue-in-cheek AM should be paying a luxury tax with the money they spent on this 2022 recruiting cycle coaches know guys coaches know they talk to players you know they're recruiting the same players and when lane kiffin or kirby smart you know is trying to recruit players talking to him on the phone he's like well hey coach you know i mean i just got offered fifty thousand dollars seventy five thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars multi-year deal by AM, like it's hard to pass up. Can you uh, can you match that? And the coaches are like, ah, nah, man, I can't. All right, coaches, love you, but I'm going A&M. I'm going to follow that money. They know. They know. They know what's going on. And, and Jimbo was hilarious. I don't know if you guys saw it. Maybe it was the Josh Pate show. I didn't listen to the episode, but I, I saw a clip on Twitter. Um, and Jimbo was asked about you know the, those rumors and the idea that they're, they're paying for these players. and They, they bought this class. He was asked about it, he instantly got super defensive, which to me, and this is just me, it's a sign of insecurity. He, he's insecure about it, and it's kind of like, hey, he knows what went down, and he doesn't want people to think that. He doesn't want that to be the narrative. Um, but if you aren't aware of those rumors, uh, the rumors are, and I have to call them rumors because, again, we don't have hard evidence, but th- there's a lot of signs pointing to the rumors being more true than not. But the rumors are that AM spent roughly, give or take, you know, $30 million or so on this class with NIL money. Uh, the story goes, as is, as I've heard multiple times from different people, uh, the story goes that AM has kind of designated a booster that serves as their NIL point man. Uh, the coaching staff gives, they, they, they identify players that they want to target. They give them a list of those players. 
The point man then takes that list of players to other big boosters of A&M, and they put together multi-year deals for these guys. And and they're not necessarily directly involved in who gets what. I'm talking about the coaches. You know, I'm not saying Jimbo Fisher is is saying, hey, this guy needs this much money. But basically, what the rumor is, the story is, is they kind of they have their they basically give the point man the their recruiting board. Say, hey, these guys are the top of our board, and here's how we're going down the list. And they essentially use that to determine who should get what money and so on and so forth. And that money is not coming from the university. I'm not trying to suggest that. It's coming from boosters. It's NIL-ish. It's, there's a gray area there. But that is the story and how this class was put together. And they're smart. They're using multi-year deals. And the reason they use multi-year deals is because they don't want a player to just take the money and run. You know, with the Travis Hunter news, we're going to... Um, Jackson State, where I think it's Jackson State, right? Jackson State, where Deion Sanders is. You know, people are saying, well, he's just going to, like, he, he's just going to screw Barstool. It was stupid, man. He's just going to take the money and he's going to transfer out to a bigger school. Well, guys, they, I mean, these, these people are not, like, completely moronic. They, they understand that. So they structure it with multi-year deals. So you're leaving money on the table if you decide to transfer out, which is kind of ingenious in a way uh, because you're also kind of counteracting the transfer portal in in some way shape or form there by by structuring these deals as multi-year deals and not just paying it all up front like one lump sum of cash so you know you got to kind of admire that a little bit to some degree i guess but it comes down to it uh, i have very little doubt that something like this has occurred again i there are rumors but there's a lot of i don't say evidence but there's a lot of signs pointing to those rumors being more than just rumors, too much to ignore, in my opinion. And look, NIL in general, I have no problem with. I'm not one of those guys sitting there saying, oh my God, if payers get, played a, get paid a dime, then it's the death of college football. It'll never be the same. Oh my God, I don't want to watch this anymore. I'm going to go find another hobby. No, I, I'm not saying that. I think players should absolutely have the opportunity to benefit from their own name, image, and likeness. 100%, I believe that. I personally believe it's frankly borderline criminal that players haven't previously been able to benefit from their own name, image, and likeness, and the efforts that the NCAA has gone to restrict players from benefiting from their own name, image, and likeness, which is, to me, it's always been such a backwards argument because the regular college student can benefit from their name, image, and likeness, but the players can't. Look, I know, obviously, they get a scholarship, and there's a lot of things they get outside of name, image, and likeness. They do get a really good deal, but I mean, why are there artificial restrictions on how much they can make off of their own? Again, I keep saying it, name, image, and likeness. But there's got to be a line, I think, somewhere. And I don't know where that line should be. I don't know if I'm qualified enough to say. I don't know if I put enough thought into it. But what A&M is brazenly doing is not name, image, and likeness. It's pay for play. And to me, that's a very different thing. If, if an outside company wants to identify a player that they want to use to market their product, they want to use their name, image, and likeness and pay them for that, that's one thing. But when the coaches are getting involved in the process, as AM's coaches are rumored to be involved in this process, to me, it far more resembles the concept of pay for play even though the money might not be coming from the university, when the coaches are coordinating it to the level that it seems like they are at AM, that to me is a different animal. And guys, AM is also technically subverting Texas law, subverting the own laws of their of their own state. You know, Texas passed their own NIL law. Basically, NCAA's NIL law was was passed in response to certain states. I think Florida might have been the first one to do it, where the states were passing individual NIL laws and the states that the universities and states that did not have NIL laws are like, well, what about us? Like, there's a gray area here. So the NCAA basically instituted at least a temporary rule. It's like, hey, in the absence of an NIL law in your own state, here's what you can do. But if your state has its own NIL law, then you are bound by your state's laws. And so Texas has their own NIL law, just like Georgia does, just like Florida does. And here's a couple sections from the Texas state law on NIL. So it says an institution to which this section applies, blah, 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 whatever. It says they may not provide or solicit a prospective student athlete of an intercollegiate athletic program at the institution with compensation in relation to the prospective student athlete's name, image, or likeness. It goes on to further say no individual or corporate entity or 
any other organization may enter into any arrangement with a prospective student athlete relating to that prospective student athlete's name, image, or likeness prior to their enrollment in an institution of higher education or, get this, use inducements of future name, image, and likeness compensation arrangement to recruit a prospective student athlete to any institution of higher education. Guys, this is exactly what Texas A&M did. They're completely, if the rumors are true, which again, it's just me. It seems like science are pointing that, yeah, there's some truth there. What the actual truth is, we don't know, but there's something going on. They are subverting their own state NIL law. Again, if indeed it's going down as it is rumored to be going down. A&M is basically saying, hey, NCAA, we dare you to stop us. Hey, anyone out there, we dare you to stop us. You might know what we're doing, but you can't do anything about it, or you don't have the willpower or the wherewithal to do anything about it. And on some level, I also admire this. I admire the commitment and the passion of the fan base in doing what it takes to win. I, on some level, do admire that. But again, they are literally breaking their own state's law. NIL was designed for players to be able to take advantage of marketing opportunities based off their play on the field. That's really what it was designed to do. But this ain't that, man. This is not that. And on one hand, like it's whatever, whatever, man. Like it's the new era of college football, and you either adapt or die, right? You either adapt and you up your NIL game or you fall behind. And a big part of me feels that way. It's as a Georgia guy, it's like, you know what? Kudos to AM, they're doing what they gotta do to win. They realize no one's gonna stop them. So hey, Kirby Smart, like we got up our game, man. Like we, we gotta do our own thing. Let's let's organize and mobilize the liquor barons. Let's get this going. But I also think there need to be more guardrails on NIL. I don't believe it should be used, as the Texas law says, I don't believe it should be used to induce players to commit to university. And, and maybe you disagree with me on that, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I need to do more thinking on that. But right now, I just it's it seems off to me. That's it, again, it just subverts what the original purpose of NIL was. And look, if we want to go to pay for play, that's fine. Let's just say that I'm fine with that. Like if that's what it's going to be, let's just say it so we know that everyone's playing by the same rules. And like I know there's always been an equity in college football. That's the name of the game. It always has. There always has been a level of inequity. Some programs are just more naturally situated in terms of access to big time high school recruiting. Uh, some universities are just bigger and have larger fan bases. Therefore, you have more money flowing in. There, there's any number of advantages or disadvantages that have always been a part of college football. I get that. But there's always been this understanding that we're at least all playing under the same rules. You might not have the same resources, but you have the same rules. So if we did pay for play, not every university is going to have the same amount of money to operate off of. So there's inequity there, but at least we're all playing by the same rules. That's like when people kind of absolve Auburn for paying Cam Newton all those years ago and say, well, everyone does it now. I'd be illegal now. No big deal. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, let's not rewrite history here. Back in that time, I have a major problem. I still have a major problem with the Cam Newton thing and that fraudulent national tie that Auburn won because they weren't playing by the same rules as everyone else. No, no one else in the country, well, I shouldn't say no one else in the country is doing that, but most teams weren't going out spending $180,000 on national championship winning quarterbacks. So they were flat out cheating. If you just want to open up and say, we're doing pay for play, all right, just tell us that. Because that's, that's what A&M is doing. That's what they're doing. And that's where my problem is. And that's what I have an issue with when it comes to how this went down. And that's why I, I think there have to be some sort of guardrails. I don't know what those guardrails are going to be. Someone smarter than me, more qualified than me is going to have to come up with those. But the problem is, I don't know who in the hell is going to actually enforce any sort of guardrails if they are devised. I mean, the NCAA? Give me a break. They can't enforce anything. They're absolutely toothless, spineless. They're irrelevant. They shouldn't even exist anymore. Congress? We've been waiting on that for years, man. I mean, the NCAA basically begged Congress to take the lead in this. I don't see that happening anytime soon. It's been a while and they haven't done anything yet. So why do we expect that to happen now? The conferences themselves? I mean, okay, maybe that's the best hope, but they can't even agree on a playoff format. So I don't know who and what entity would be enforcing any of these laws. And that's what AM is banking on. They're like, who's going to stop us? Like, the NCAA can't do anything. Congress didn't do anything. The conferences aren't going to do anything. So as far as I'm concerned, it's here to stay. Again, I think it's pay for play in this format. But 
I think this is also college football right now. I think that I'm not going to say it's going to be college football forever. Maybe some agreement will come and there'll be some guardrails put in place. I don't know. But I think for the foreseeable future, we have to operate under the assumption that this is college football. And look, we are recruiting very well. We have been every year since Kirby Smart's gotten here. And I don't see that stopping. But we are very much going to have to start playing the NIL game or, re- or risk falling behind to some level. And I don't want that to happen. I want us to continue to recruit at the level that we have. And look, I'm not trying to just single out AM. Other programs are doing this. Like, we're doing NIL stuff too. I'm not saying that we are not. Other programs are doing it. But AM is clearly just the most brazen example. And they're the uh, shining light right now. They're the shining example of what is wrong with the NIL process in terms of the recruiting front. Because again, I think this more resembles pay for play than it does like the original purpose, the original idea behind what NIL was. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So that was my my big thought on the recruiting cycle, this 22 recruiting cycle in general and how NIL influenced this cycle. But as for Georgia's 2022 recruiting class, we ended up finishing third behind Alabama and A&M, obviously, which is great. I'm, I'm very happy with that. I'm content with that. Obviously, you want to have the number one class. It's really nice to be able to beat your chest and brag on that. And it's also just good for perception for future recruiting classes. Say, hey, man, look, look, this is what we do. We recruit well. Jump on in. You know you want to. But in reality, if you're in the top three to four-ish, you are right there getting the talent you need to compete for titles, especially in the transfer portal era where you can supplement every class with other teams' best players. And that has to be taken into account. I, I keep saying that these past couple years. I mean, the fact that we finished third and third or whatever, it's fine with me because we're adding players via the transfer portal, impact players like Darion Kendrick. To me, if you're going to truly judge a team's recruiting class, you have to factor in the transfer portal now. I know they're not incoming freshmen, but that's part of this recruiting class. It really is. Like We are literally saving spots. We're not offering all of our scholarships to incoming freshman players, incoming high school prospects, because we are saving some to give to players from the transfer portal. So to me, you can't really talk about a team's class without also looking at how they fare in the transfer portal. Now, obviously, we haven't made a splash there yet, but there's time for that. Obviously, right after the season, you're going to have a lot of names going to the portal. And then after spring practice, you start to see more movement when it goes to the transfer portal. And I do expect us to, to land some guys, some potential impact players in the portal this year. So we don't know what that's going to look like, but I think you really have to wait until the true end of the cycle once you get to fall camp to determine just how good a team's overall recruiting was for a given cycle. But anyway, this year, it's really Texas A&M, Bama, Georgia, and everyone else. So if you guys aren't familiar with how they do their rankings, there's a formula that gives a point system, and the 247 composite is what I use consistently. I know there's other services out there. I know we have Rivals, obviously, has been around forever. On3 is a new one. ESPN does. Oh, God, ESPN tries to do their own rankings. I don't even, oof, don't even know if you're going to call those rankings. But the 247 composite compiles 
all of those rankings and averages them out. It's a composite. So I think it's the most accurate way to look at these rankings. But the, the 247 composite, they give you a score, a number. So A&M ended up with 328 points, which is the most points I've seen in over a decade. And going back to 2010, I didn't go back any further than that, but it's certainly the most that we've seen since prior to 2010. Um, so I think it looks like it's probably gonna end up being like statistically, numerically, the best recruiting class on paper in the history, at least the modern history of college ball recruiting, since they've kind of been tracking these things. So they had 328 points. Bam had a really high number as well, 322. We also had a high number, 317. There's There's been years in the relatively recent past where 317 points will be the number one class. This year, obviously with A&M doing what they're doing, that was enough for the number one class. But we're right there. I mean, we're five points behind Bama, uh, 11 points by A&M. We are right there in the conversation. But you got Ohio State coming at fourth with 300 points. There's a Decent drop off, like there's only five points of a drop off from Bama at number two to Georgia at number three. There's a 17 point drop off from Georgia at number three and Ohio State at number four. Then you get drop off even further at number five, Texas coming in with 288 points, Penn State number six, 277, and on down the line. So you can see really it's it was a three team race this year. It was Georgia, Bama, AM, and ended up winning it with their crazy NIL money allotment. And if this trend continues, guys, I know AM has been recruiting pretty well under Jimbo since he got there, but this year, obviously, they took it to a whole other level. And if this trend continues, Georgia, Bama, AM recruiting like this, we are about to have a big three in the SEC. And it's good for us that two of those teams are in the West and we're alone there in the SEC East. We'll get to that here in a minute. But if you look at the numbers, AM, Bama, Georgia, not only were our score, our recruiting scores higher, we combined those three programs for 16 five stars. 16 five stars between Bama, Georgia, and AM. The rest of the SEC, the other 11 members of the SEC, combined for two five star prospects total. Two, two, 16 versus two. Three teams, Georgia, Bama, AM, literally combined for eight times more five stars than the rest of the SEC combined. And I'll take this one more step. Now, this is my calculation. Someone can double check me on this, but based on my calculations, AM, Bama, and Georgia combined to sign 43 of the top 100 prospects in the nation. Three programs combined to sign just slightly less than 50% of all the top 100 prospects in the country. That's just insane. So now you get the idea? That's why I'm saying if this trend continues, look, Georgia and Bama have been recruiting like this for a while. AM is new to the game, but if this continues, we might very well have a three-team race here, year in, year out in the SEC for the foreseeable future. And if you dig into an even more micro level for us, for Georgia, what we care about, the rest of the SEC East, and this has been a trend for a while now, this is not a new story, but yet again, Another cycle, another class here in 2022 where the SEC East fell even further behind the Georgia Bulldogs. Ah, man, tough guys. It sucks. We signed five five-star prospects this cycle. The rest of the SEC East combined, the other six teams combined for one five-star prospect. And that was Luther Burden at, at Missouri. We were right there with Missouri. I think it might have been the nail in the coffin for Cortez Hankton here in Athens when he missed on Luther Burden, who's a five-star wide receiver prospect and uh, allowed him to stay home. I don't say allowed him. He got, the kid got to make the choice, but he let Missouri kind of sneak in there and keep Luther Burden at home. And uh, I think Kirby was like, ah, that's not so great. But that was the only one. That was the only one the SEC East. We signed five. So that's five times more than the rest of the SEC combined. And uh, let's extrapolate that out. Over the last four cycles, and I use that four cycles because if you look at who was going to be playing next year, it's for these last four recruiting classes, maybe you can bring it out to five and say redshirt seniors, sure, whatever. But over the last four cycles, we have signed 18 five stars. The rest of the SEC East has combined to sign seven five stars. So more than doubled the number of five stars that the other six teams in the division have signed combined. And if you look a little bit further, our chief competition this year in 2022 I think generally speaking, people say that Florida is, you know, that's Georgia's biggest rival. That's going to be the number one competition year in and year out, most years at least, in the SEC East. They finished 19th. I know this was a transition year for uh, Billy Napier, obviously coming in late in the cycle and trying to put together. But 19th guys, when Kirby came in, it wasn't his best recruiting class in his first year, but far better than that. So they finished 19th 
with 225 points, again, compared to us at number three with 317 points. We were almost 100 points higher than them. Guys, actually, you know, maybe Florida isn't our chief competition anymore. And Kentucky did, actually, as we predicted before the season, they did finish second in the SEC East this year, and they actually finished ahead of Florida in the recruiting rankings this year. Kentucky, guys. Kentucky finished 12th nationally in recruiting, 237 points. Uh, in fact, Florida didn't even finish third in the SEC East. Missouri finished third in the SEC East. Missouri, guys. Kentucky and Missouri recruiting better than Florida this year. Missouri finished 14th. Eli Drinkwitz with a nice class, 234 points overall, right behind Kentucky, not too far off there. In fact, Florida didn't even finish fourth in the SEC East in recruiting. Tennessee came in fourth at 16th nationally with 228 points. And then Florida comes in and they fall in there at the fifth spot in the SEC East. And then South Carolina comes in at number six with a 25th ranked class nationally, which, oh, I mean, don't you guys keep hearing about Shane Beamer and how good of a recruiter Shane Beamer is? And uh-oh, Georgia, you better watch out. Shane Beamer's on the case now? Nah, not so much. 25th, 216 points, literally 100 points more than South Carolina. And then, of course, Vandy coming in. Vandy actually surprised me. They were 31st nationally, which I was like, hey, Vandy, eh? that's better than they usually do. So Clark Lee, I mean, not a, I mean, for Vandy standards, not terrible by their typical standards. So when Curtis and I finally, eventually, hopefully next week, get to our way too early 2022 preview episode, we're going to talk about the Georgia football team heading into 2022 and give you our very early thoughts on that. Obviously, we'll have all offseason to talk about that. We want to give you an early look, though. And when we get to that and we start talking about how despite all the losses from the 2021 national title team, the dogs should be the clear favorites to win the SEC East again in 2022 and potentially be in contention realistically for another college football playoff bid. That's why, because guys, the SEC East just isn't keeping up right now. You know, Florida, like Florida's the one, I know they weren't this year, but they're the one that has the greatest amount of resources and they have the potential to be the one that's consistently competing with us in the SEC East but right now they're down and they're not right there right now and it's going to take a couple of cycles at the very least for them to get into position where they can like realistically compete with us on a year in in year out basis and if it's not Florida then you got Kentucky yeah I I think Mark Stoops is fantastic I mean, it's incredible what he's done there. It's incredible that he's still coaching there, but you got to tip your cap to the loyalty. He does a really good job of tapping into Ohio, which has a lot of high school talent there, high school football talent. I know he's not getting the guys that Ohio State is getting and Michigan and Penn State are getting, but he's getting like the next tier of guys, which are still really good. They don't have that much talent in Kentucky, but when you can dip into Ohio, it's a state that you border, you can you can do some damage. And he's done a really good job of targeting that state and getting the kind of players that, that fit what he wants. I mean, Lynn Bowden a couple years ago, and that's a prime example of that. So he's done a good job there. Um, and, but other than that, I mean, like, guys, they're just, they're not recruiting anywhere near us. And I just go back to what I always say, recruiting matters. Players are the most important component of winning titles. It's not the only component to me. I've said this many times, but if you're new to the show, you got to have the players, you got to recruit them. It's player procurement, then it's player development, and then it's player retention. You got to keep those guys. So that's, you know, the, the three-pronged attack for me for winning titles, but I think player acquisition, the procurement of that talent is by far the most important part because that's a prerequisite. It doesn't matter how good your coaching is. It doesn't matter. You can't retain talent that you don't already have. You've got to get the players. And right now we're just getting them at a level that no one in the SEC East can can even touch. So I just don't think our stranglehold on this division is going to end anytime soon. I really, and I know that we lost, you know, back in the COVID year, we didn't win it that year, but there were serious extenuating circumstances but moving forward absent some crazy circumstances like that we should be winning the SEC East for for years to come but we'll talk more about that when we hopefully next week get to our 2022 way too early preview you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lipsandads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. 
Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, guys, let's wrap things up with how we actually specifically close things out today with this 2022 recruiting cycle. We had a couple of players that had already previously committed but did not sign during the early signing period, which is usually at least a little cause for concern uh, because it's a sign that these guys might be shopping around a little bit. Like if you're that serious about committing to Georgia and coming to Georgia, like just sign early, sign the early signing in the signing period. Doesn't mean you have to you have to enroll early. Just go ahead and sign and get it done with. So if they don't sign, it's always kind of like, oh, they might be looking around a little bit there. But we were ultimately able to sign wide receiver Dylan Bell out of Texas and outside linebacker Darius Smith. And let's start with Dylan Bell. This is a guy that I've kind of gone back and forth on a little bit. He's got really good measurables. When you look at his, his measurables, he comes in at 6'2", 205. I don't have a confirmed 40, 40 time for him, but he moves pretty well on tape when you watch him. But I go back and forth him. Sometimes I, I watch him. I think he has the skill set to be like a big time contributor, maybe a number one guy. And other times when I watch him, watch the same tape, I see that possession wide receiver. And you're like, I don't know, man. I just don't know. He's built like a running back. He actually plays wildcat quarterback for them at times. And, you know, playing wildcat quarterback, he's just running the football. He's basically a glorified running back. But he definitely has a running back body. He's a guy that didn't have senior film out there, which I hate that because that means you got to operate off of, off of tape from his junior year, which was like a full year ago. And guys make jumps. Their bodies develop. They get better. And it's just tough if you're relying on junior tape, but that's all I have to rely on. And he's in Texas, so I don't get to watch this guy live or you know on GPV or whatever, or Peachtree TV nowadays, I guess. And you also gotta factor in where he plays in high school in Texas. It's not a big school, and he doesn't play great high school competition, so you gotta also factor that in as well. And when you watch him play from a skill set perspective, he does not have elite speed. He really does. He's not a burner, but he has good speed, plenty good enough speed. He's powerful, man. Again, he's built like a running back. He's got a lot of power. There's a little bit of Debo Samuel to him in how he's built, but without that level of athleticism. I'm certainly not saying he's Debo Samuel. He does not have that kind of athleticism. At least I have not seen that based on the tape that I have seen. But he's kind of built like that. Just to give you kind of an idea if you haven't watched the tape of what he looks like and how he's built. Right now, I think this is where I land on him right now. I'm not sure I see number one type wide receiver talent. I just don't think I see that right now based off, again, the tape that I've been able to watch. I haven't worked him out personally. So there's that. But based off what I've seen, I do think he can absolutely be a good contributor for us at the very least. I think he has, he's a guy I would say he has a high floor. I'm not sure he has the highest ceiling, but I think he has a high floor and I think he can be a really good contributor for us. And our coaches love his workout. He's one of these guys that came to, came to campus and actually worked out for the coaches and that's where he got his offer. And the coaches love that apparently. So I'm going to defer to them. This is the same staff that did a great evaluation on A.D. Mitchell. And we saw what A.D. Mitchell was able to do. I mean, he made uh, the decisive touchdown catch in the in the national championship game. A, a fantastic catch. And I think he's going to be our number one receiver going into next year, especially with Jermaine Burton moving on. So our coaches love this workout. I'm going to defer to them. I think he's a guy with a high floor that can be a contributor. Maybe not a number one guy, but he, he's going to make some plays for us at some point in his career. And then the other guy, Darius Smith, projects as an outside linebacker. He's 6'6", 225. And I think he has an incredibly high ceiling at outside linebacker. Problem with him right now is you can't expect that to translate immediately. He is very, very much a work in progress on defense as a pass rusher, but the tools are there. He's just got to fill out his frame. Now he's taller and longer. He's very long, taller and longer than Adam Anderson was. And I, But I see some similarities between him and, him and Adam Anderson in terms of the fact that they were very, very thin, explosive, but thin coming out of high school and just simply had to add weight. And Darius Smith is going to have to add some weight. That's fine. That's what a college weight program, a college nutrition program is all about. They will help him with that. But he's very tall, very lanky right now and extremely long, incredibly long legs. To give you an idea of, of how high his ceiling is and how athletic he is, he's 6'6", 225, and he's projected as an outside linebacker for us. That's where we're, That's what we're recruiting him as. He plays wide receiver at the high school level, and he plays it well. He is, I can't emphasize this enough, guys. He is 
so, so long. But the fact that he plays wide receiver and looks very fluid doing it and does not look like a fish out of water playing wide receiver, I think that gives you an idea of what kind of athlete that we are talking about here. And if he can just add 20 pounds, 15, 20 pounds in the next couple years, this is a guy that could be a nightmare off the edge rushing the passer. I mean, he has all the tools except for the weight. But he has the frame. He's just got to fill out the frame. And that's where our strength and conditioning program, our nutrition program really comes into play. So I'm going to be very excited to see how he develops and how he grows. I do not think that he's going to be an instant impact type guy. Um, Maybe not even a year two impact type guy. But I think down the road, this is a guy, once he fills out that frame and just learns to actually play that position and do what he has to do at outside linebacker, I think he's going to be not just a big-time contributor, I think he's going to be a big-time player with potential all-SEC caliber type potential down the road. Just not immediately. Just give him some time. But I think he can grow and develop into that kind of player. So we're able to, to keep D- Dylan Bell and Darius Smith. They were committed for, they've were they been committed for a while, but you're just not sure. When they don't commit in the early signing period, you're just not sure. But we're able to keep those guys locked in, and uh, they are officially now signed, sealed, and delivered. They are Georgia Bulldogs. But that is not all that we added today to close out this 2022 recruiting class. The biggest name, at least as far as I'm concerned, was defensive tackle Christian Miller from Cedar Grove High School. Also have one of his teammates that's committed, CJ Madden, who actually has underwent shoulder surgery. So he'll be out for the spring, but should be back for the fall. But Christian Miller, guys, big time player. 6'4", 300 pounds, fringe top 100 player nationally. He was number, what, 102, I think, in the 247 composite. So, I mean, essentially a top 100 type player. And I think that that's what he is. He's a top 100 player. I'm not saying he's a top 10 player, but I think he's certainly a top 100 player. Uh, He's very, very athletic, and he's very explosive as an interior defensive lineman. He has elite first step quickness, really high level athleticism for a big guy. Not quite Jalen Carter level athleticism. We're not talking about that, but come on guys. I mean, Jalen Carter's a freak. That's like top 1% level stuff we're talking about from Jalen Carter. He's not quite that, but he's highly athletic in his own right. And what also really impresses me about Christian Miller beyond just the raw ability He's really polished for a high school defensive tackle. A lot of times you see these guys in the trenches, whether it's offensive linemen or defensive linemen, when they play in high school, they're just so much bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic than the guys they're going against, the level of competition, that they just physically dominate without having to worry about technique whatsoever. You see that a lot, especially on the interior of the defensive line. But that's not the case with Christian Miller. Yes, he's just physically more dominant than the guys he's going against, but he plays with a high degree of polish for a guy at the high school level. He uses his hands very, very well. He understands how to control offensive linemen. He plays with fantastic leverage. I mean, honestly, if you watch his his clips on his highlight tape, you see him doing the things that our defensive linemen play, our, our defensive linemen do. Like, it, honestly, if just kind of if you watch his tape, imagine him in like red and black. Imagine him with a red jersey, red helmet, and silver britches or I guess gray pants on and he looks like a Georgia Bulldog defensive lineman from this 2021 football team the way that he plays with that technique he does a lot of things that we ask of our defensive linemen and because of that along with his athleticism I do think that he could potentially fit into the rotation next year as a true freshman and then make a big jump in year two a la Jalen Carter. Now, if you've listened to me talk about recruiting before, you know that I I typically say that I'm very hesitant, at least more so at at positions on the lines of scrimmage in the trenches, whether it's offense or defensive line. I'm more hesitant to say those guys are going to make early impacts as it's just a grown man's game. They're just so physical. You got to be a grown man. You got to be big, strong, physical to really compete on the interior in the trenches in the SEC. And it's tough to project that for guys coming out of high school, 17, 18 years old. But based off what I've seen from him with how well he plays from a technique standpoint and how advanced he is there for a high school player, along with his athletic ability, that natural athleticism, I do think he could fit into the rotation, especially with some of the guys that we're losing along the defensive line. And I told you guys earlier in the week, Curtis and I said this before signing day, you know, we were looking at, we we're doing a little bit of a preview in the last episode. 
And uh, I asked Curtis a question like, of those guys that, that we're looking at right now, the, the guys that are that we're targeting heading into the, the late signing period, which one of those guys at the top of your list, your top rated target? He said Christian Miller, and that's who I had in my, in my notes as well. I totally agree with him. And to me, the reason is that's just more of a position of need. I know Shamar Stewart, some people were, were getting their hopes up that maybe we'd land this guy. He's a top 10 prospect, he's, but he's, he's a five-tech guy. Maybe he could grow into a three-tech, but right now, with his physical profile, he's a five-tech guy. And we signed Michael Williams, who is a better player than Shamar Stewart, who also is a five-tech guy. Maybe Michael grows into a, a three-tech, and interior guy, but right now he's a five-tech guy. I think that's where he's going to land. So it, having Michael Williams kind of cushion the blow of potentially not landing Shamar Stewart, and I thought we had a shot to land Shamar Stewart, but it was probably about a 40, 30, 40% chance. I figured he would go to A&M or Miami, and he ends up going to A&M. He took the NIL money, and that's fine. Good for him. But uh, that's okay. Like, I'm not. I'm really not shedding a tear over that. I'm a good player. I would certainly love to have him. You, you want. You don't want to turn him away if he wants to come to Athens. But we're fine because we got Michael Williams. We needed another big time defensive lineman, and Christian Miller fit that bill. So landing him, he was a guy that above all else, that uh, in terms of guys that weren't publicly committed, he's the guy that we were after that I really wanted, and I am pumped that we were able to, to ultimately land Christian Miller because I think he's going to be a big-time player for us. Maybe sooner rather than later. We'll see on him. And then, uh, of course, we also added a guy that I've been talking about for a week or so now, running back Andrew Paul from Texas. We did offer him just a little over a week ago. The guy that was our, the second running back, obviously we signed Branson Robinson, who's a big-time running back in his own right. I mean, he's awesome. Branson Robinson, I'm extraordinarily excited about but the other guy we had on the commit list at the running back position was Jordan James out of Tennessee. He did not sign in the early signing period. Like I told you guys, that's usually a sign. They're like, huh, they're probably like considering other options. So yeah, that's fine. If you want to consider other options, we're going to also consider other options. So we started looking elsewhere very smartly. And I, I look, I know how this sounds coming from a guy who runs a Georgia podcast, but we got the better back, okay? Andrew Paul's better than Jordan James. That's my opinion, but I'm going to stick to that, okay? And I know you're probably sitting there saying, oh my God, obviously you're going to say that. I mean, it's just sour grapes. If we'd gotten Jordan James, you, you would have said Jordan James is a better back. No, I wouldn't have. I mean, if you ask me to compare him, Andrew Paul is better. What I challenge you to do, guys, if you have not watched the tape, if you're one of those guys who just hasn't watched the tape yet, let's do the blind tape challenge here. Get someone else, get a loved one, someone you know, coworker, family member, whatever. Get them, tell them two names, Andrew Paul and Jordan James. Have them pull up the, the highlight video for you and you watch them without looking at the names of who you're actually watching play, without knowing if it's Jordan James or Andrew Paul. I challenge you to do this, and I, I, I trust you guys. I know that you guys know your football. If you listen to the show, you know your football, and if you know your football, you got to come out and say Andrew Paul is better. You're going to come out with that. You're going to come back with that. That's, that's, just, that's the answer. Andrew Paul is just better. Now, granted, his competi- competition level is weak, kind of like Dylan Bell didn't play great level competition week in and week out, but if you've watched a lot of tape, you understand that. And that's not really what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at that. I'm I'm watching for how you move. I'm watching your attributes, how you move, what's your vision like, how do you accelerate, how are you in the short area? I mean, Del McGee, it was a great tweet. He tweeted out that Paul checks all the boxes. Let's see, I got the tweet right here. Power, check. Explosion, check. Vision, check. Size, check. Physicality, check. Home run speed, check. This dog's all dog. And I 100% agree with Del McGee. I know he's got to say that, but like, that's what we recruited this guy. And I know we got into it late because we thought Jordan James was going to be the guy and he wants to look elsewhere. So we started looking elsewhere. And you know what, guys? I think we found ourselves a better back. In terms of his skill set, he has fantastic short area quickness. That short area quickness and that lateral agility that he has, that's what stands out to me most about Andrew Paul. And I think that is those are both really, really important attributes for a running back to have. He's also got great contact balance, which is also another attribute that's really high on my list of important traits for running backs to have. Has very good vision, and he's far more explosive. He's just faster and more explosive than Jordan James is. He just is. Watch the tape, and you'll see the same things. Now, this guy, Andrew Paul, is ranked 534th nationally. And I know if you just look at that, you don't watch the tape, you're like, oh, three-star, 534th national. You look at that and you instantly kind of just like shrug your shoulders. Eh, whatever, I guess. We'll see what happens. But guys, I'm telling you, watch the tape. Stars don't tell the story here. What happened with Andrew Paul, this happens every cycle. He didn't camp. He didn't do the camp circuit where all these recruiting evaluators, they go to all these camps and then they put these on for players and they encourage them to come. And he didn't do that. He didn't do the camp circuit. 
And players get punished for that. Players get rewarded for that by being rated higher. And then players who don't do it get punished for that. I think it's a flaw in the system. This happened to Gunnar Stockton too. Gunnar Stockton didn't really do the camp circuit, didn't do the Elite 11 stuff, and he dropped in the ring. He didn't plummet, but he dropped outside the top 100. This is a guy that was a former five-star. He just didn't do the, the camp circuit. He just didn't do that. And that's a flaw in the ring system. We're not going to get off on that tangent, but just understand, guys, he is better than his ranking. And I know, again, easy for you to say that, Tyler. You run a Georgia podcast. Obviously, like we don't, we, you can't take you seriously. Just trust me on this, guys. Watch it. If you don't trust me, fine, whatever. Watch the tape yourself. And I'm not saying that he's the best back in the country. I'm not even saying he's the best back in our class. That's Branson Robinson. But this guy, come on. He's far closer to a top 100 level back than he is to being the 534th best player in this class. That's just obvious. It's just obvious. And again, if you don't believe me, and you don't believe your own eyes, well, watch the tape. And if you don't believe your own eyes or you're just too lazy to watch the tape, just look at his offer list. Uh, he, I know he kind of came on late in the cycle, but we had to fend off Clemson, Michigan, and Oregon, among others, for his services. An offer list are usually a really good indication of a player's value, oftentimes more so than ranking. So when you look at who we had to fend off to get him late, that tells you what kind of player he is. This guy had the offer list of a top 100 level running back. And then finally, we also added former Florida commit linebacker EJ Lightsey from Fitzgerald here in the state of Georgia. Uh, this guy I'm excited about. Now, he has to learn how to play inside linebacker. He's got to learn that. He's he's raw, but he has all the tools, man. He really does. In terms of like see ball, get ball, he does that extremely well. He is extremely athletic. He has elite speed at that position. He flies around the field. Tell me if that sounds like some of the linebackers you've seen here on our roster over the past couple years. He can rush the passer, um, but playing with proper leverage, controlling blockers, disengaging from blocks, all those kinds of things, he's got to improve on. He just has to learn how to play that position. But saying that, you know who else had to learn how to play that position once upon a time? Yeah, Quay Walker. I think Quay Walker has a shot to be a first-round draft pick. Now, he didn't help himself with the injury, and it's not his fault, so he couldn't actually compete in the senior bowl, but I think he's going to blow it up at the combine. And this is a guy, you know, going back when we signed him a couple years ago, I told you guys, come out of high school, same thing I'm talking about Lightsey. Don't expect him to play right away. He's got to learn how to play that position. He played more on the edge than he did inside in high school, but you could see the athleticism. You could see the ability, those raw tools. It was just going to take a little bit of time for him to learn that. That's why I told you guys back when him and Tyndall signed, I thought Tyndall would probably play earlier than he would, but I thought Quay had a higher ceiling, which is kind of how it played out. Quay just had to learn how to play that position, and I think it's the same thing here with EJ Lightsey. Raw tools, got him, man. This guy can fly around the field. He's just got to learn how to play that position. That's going to take a little bit of time. Be patient with him, but give him a year or two, and this guy is going to absolutely be a player for us at inside linebacker. So I'm very excited to be able to land him, not just to get him for our team, but to also take him away from Florida. That also has a little, a little extra kick to it as well. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Definitely appreciate you guys taking time out of your day here to support us and listen to the podcast. We will be doing some more signing day and recruiting talk in the coming weeks. Definitely got to get Curtis on here and let, let him have his take on it. We're going to try to put together some signing day superlatives, all that kind of stuff. But I want to get on here and give you guys my initial thoughts to this 2022 recruiting cycle and how we close things out. So again, thank you guys for listening. I'm Tyler. Have a great weekend. And as always, go dogs.